All right, everybody, welcome. It's Apologetics Live. It is May 23rd, 2019. I don't think we have anybody waiting. I don't know of anybody right now that uh, might be in a room. I'll check. We're just now releasing this. Andrew is in the Philippines, so I'll be uh, doing it solo tonight. No big deal. And uh, let me see. I'm just moving some stuff around the screen here, filling in the blanks while I'm talking, getting things going so that um, we can see. Okay, so I'm the only one watching. I'm the only one in. I'm going to give it a little while. I'm going to give it 10, 15 minutes. If nobody shows up, then I'll just bail and go do some other things. I've got plenty to do always, all the time. So it's 6 o'clock straight up, and that's the time it's supposed to be. Oh, we've got six people watching right now, so that's good. And uh, maybe they'll type in something and we can talk or they can come into the uh, participation room if they want to, to get to the information. Hey, Andrew Graham, James Bush, if you want to um, to participate, just go to karm.org uh, slash apologetics hyphen live and um you can see the links and stuff like that. You can get into, should be able to, you can test it out if you want, should be able to get in here. And um, let's see, yeah, there we go. Should be able to get in. Maybe we could talk. Anybody wants to come in and talk. Uh, we might have some Catholics in. We might have some atheists in. I have been absolutely busy, uh, very, just very busy. A lot of stuff uh, has been happening lately. So as you guys know, I've been out of commission for a few weeks. Uh, Personally, it's just uh, not, not anything physical. I mean, uh, we had a new carpet in the house and we were going to move to Arizona, but we planned our plans got sidetracked a little bit. We're still going to go. It's just going to be later this year. Discovered that the insurance, medical insurance, when we get down there, will start over. The deductibles start over and um, uh, it's just uh, you know too expensive for us to uh Oh, that's, I don't see that. That's good. Uh, too expensive uh, you know, to have another six, $8,000 in deductible to have to go through. And we just found out that my wife has her sixth broken vertebra. So that's something she's going to have to have fixed in about four weeks. They do what's called a kyphoplasty. So uh, that, uh, and I was exhausted last week and just had tech problems. And I just, I just couldn't do it. I, I was just... I was spent. Uh, there's a lot going on. And uh, so that was that, you know. And um, so now I feel a lot better. Had a rest today. And maybe even after this, I have to go shopping tonight. You know, because of my wife's condition, uh, I have to do, you know, pick up the slack and um, do, do various things that she can't do anymore. That's just what it is. So there you go. If any of you want to participate or if you're in the chat room, just the uh, you're watching it and you want to uh, you can uh, you can uh, we can type a question in. I'm just seeing my my shirt says the word truth but it's backwards so what I'm going to do I think there's a way to reverse it let's see um, so how about where is it Cameraman, nope, that's not it. Share screen, nope, it's in, it's around here someplace. Let's see. Toolbox, I'm just killing time right now. And I think, 
What we do. Oh, come on. Come on. Oh, you slime ball. I talked to my computers. We'll never do what I want to do. All right. Let's try this. There's a, there's a way to do it. And I can't figure it out yet. So I'll just keep talking and stalling until I get it done. Not a link for you. Can you pop it in here? Uh, is the link to join is not working? Okay. Well, in that case, what I will do is take this link. I'll go to that page and I will put it in that page. It should, it should work, but I don't know why it's not. Um, and I'm just, just putting the link, the big link. So come on, refresh and you, you know, give it a shot. All right. So there you go. And I'm going to keep working on this thing. Mirror your video. That was right there in front of me. There we go. There we go. That's what it's supposed to be. Look like. So now you can see my uh, my shirt, and that, that's what the room really looks like. Hope you guys like the plants and stuff like that. So as we're waiting for people to get in here, maybe we have a discussion, maybe not. We'll see. And uh, okay. Wow, well, I got some messages. Let me check this out. Um. So we're on, let's see, come on, you guys, this is going pretty slowly right now. What I'm going to do, uh, let's try this. Um, Okay, here we go. Let's see if we can get a friend of mine to come in. And maybe we can talk. Let's see. Sorry, still not a link for you. Come on, come on. You have to refresh your uh, screen. Refresh that page. Uh, I'm going to put it in here. There's the, there's the whole. Uh, well, I put it in. Hopefully, it'll work. Let me try that as well. God loves the sinner but hates the sin. Oh, the fallacy, Helen. Well, in one sense, he loves a sinner. In another sense, he doesn't love the sinner. He loves all people, per Matthew 5, 43 through 48, in that he graciously allows them to enjoy the sun and the rain and things like that. But he also hates the uh, the sinner who does iniquity. That's Psalm 5, 5, Psalm 11, 5. And uh, to hate sin is an interesting thing because it's a, it's a uh, you know, it's, it's a concept. You hate a concept? Well, it's the rebellion against God, and certainly God abhors that. And there's enmity between God and us through the law. Ephesians 2.15 talks about that. Um, that link isn't working. Yeah, I did. You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to try something here. Because we've had this problem before where I'll put this link in. It's exactly, I'm copying it. It's exactly the link. And it's not working. So what I'm going to do is uh, a mini, minify URL. I'm going to go and uh, get that. I'm going to put a, a short URL in um, for minification. And uh, let's see. We can find out a, a good place to do that. And what I'll do is I'll put it in, get that, and put it in here in the, uh, the room.
And this is part of what it is to, um, there we go, to work through some of the problems. Okay, let's see. No, that's not it. Minify URL. Come on. Not JavaScript. Let's see. We're working it slowly. And then I got to find the right place to do it at. Ah, uh, yeah, 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 yeah. So, <laughs> got to find it. A place that will do it. Oh, man. Um, okay. You guys know of a good place to do it at? Any thoughts on the Pope saying that only through married people will go to heaven? He's uh, he's obviously deceived and is in the servants of the evil one by saying that. Without Mary, you can't go to heaven. If you've got the documentation for that, I want it. I want to see it. Um, uh, Okay, let's see. All right. Okay. Well, minify web page. Let me try that. Web page address. Let's see if we can come up with a minify. Come on. Maybe somebody, you guys can find out where to go. This is really strange. I found it last week pretty easy. Easily, that is. Um, look at this. This is everything's giving me the wrong thing. Oh, this is ridiculous. Wow. Okay. Nothing does uh, the URLs. Everything's about code and JavaScript. Minify web page address. That's what I want right there. But it's images. We're stalling, wasting time. Okay, we're getting to it. Well, this is telling me, though, next week what I'll do is I'll have it all set up. I'll, uh, I'll figure out, oh, wow, how can they not have a minify? That is really interesting. Okay. Uh, there, I found it. Different, different. Uh, okay. Got it. All right, let's try this. Try that and see if it works. I'm going to put that into Apologetics Live and see if we can get that to work. Uh, it's strange that things aren't working right. There, we got somebody in. Hey, Andrew, how you doing, buddy? Uh, good. I'm just, it's going to be a little bit loud here, so I just popped in to see if you're there. Yeah, we're on. Where are you? Uh, I'm in the Philippines, so it's only uh, 8 in the morning here, and uh, we're having, there's breakfast. That's why it's so crowded and noisy. Okay. Well, show us around a little bit. Get the camera going there. Say in the Philippines. Again. Yeah, let's see. Show the pan the camera around. Let's see what, where you're at. You're in the Philippines. Uh, sure. Let's see. How do I get out uh, here? Flip it around. 
So we're just this breakfast. There's oh, you know this guy. That, that's me. Hey man, hey Justin, how you doing, buddy? He's trying to say hi to you, but he can't see you, man. So here, I'll flip it around this way. He can't. Okay, there you go. Now I see you. Hey, hey Justin. Hey man, how you doing? <laughs> doing all right, buddy. You having a good time there? Yeah, yeah, we are. Everything's going really well, and uh, yeah, by God's grace, uh, good trip thus far. Tomorrow's the the big day, I guess. <laughs> big day, huh? You get start. You start speaking. Is that it? I spoke once yesterday, and we did a Q&A session together, but tomorrow is the big conference where we're expecting, There's over I guess, 1200 over 1,200. Right? No, no, so well, the registered. I registered 1,000. Somewhere around. This is the past. This is the Nice to meet you. Hi, nice meeting you. You're on Apologetics Live right now. Uh, really? Yes, really. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> this is embarrassing. <laughs> so, yeah, so we get, there's like, I think, about 1,200 registered for this thing tomorrow, and then we do it again in Cebu. Uh, yesterday, we did a pastor's conference for a couple, like like over 100 pastors. Um, I taught three sessions on church discipline, and they liked it. So, wow. Yeah. <laughs> And then uh, today, uh, Justin will be doing a radio interview, and I'll be doing some open-air preaching training, and then we'll both get together and take some teams out to go do some evangelism. Good, man. Good. Praise God that he's using you. How was your trip over there? Pretty good? Uh, how was the trip over, Justin? <laughs> it was long. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, Justin wasn't feeling so well, and uh, we, we had a lot of rain, and sat on the plane for a while because it, we we actually flew into Manila during a lightning storm. And so we just got in before they shut everything down. So then we had to sit on the plane for two hours. Really? Yeah. And Justin wasn't feeling good, so that only made it worse. And, you know, because he's he ends up being the last one out of the plane, so he's just sitting there. It wasn't, wasn't so good, but he's doing better now. Oh, man, it's hard to and, hear that. Yeah, so... But Pastor Armand's been keeping us uh, busy. <laughs> Good. Radio, we, as soon as we touched down, we got sleep and woke up early for a radio interview. And then we were at church uh, that night. And did uh, He had a pastor's conference, now uh, an evangelism conference. And so he's, he's, got a, he, he's got a pretty busy schedule. Good. But, but I know that, you know... We're going to get video of, of Justin having some balut. I know you love that. Oh, no, no, no. Balut is wrong. <laughs> you and Justin agree on that. <laughs> no, balut is wrong. Are you going to have some? Oh, yeah, I'll try it. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, different but, levels, different, you know, people don't know what balut is, but it's an, an egg, a bird egg that's grown and it's getting ready to hatch. There's different levels and they kill it and you eat it in that condition, different levels of development. No. Yeah, it's, it's, it's duck and yeah, what's wrong with that? I mean, I, my, uh, I'm arguing that if I do it, Justin has to do it. No, Justin, trust me, don't do it. Oh, he's I, I haven't, it. I haven't had it. I mean, when I was there in the Philippines, you know, they offered, I go, Nope, not happening. Just not happening. So <laughs> I don't know how you could do it. Yes. Absolutely. Correct. Hey, well, I've eaten uni, which is a, a mound of sea urchin eggs. So that was interesting. But Balut, I, I, sorry, I can't do it. Not happening. So what city are you in? All right. Huh? What city are you in? Right now we're in Manila, and then we'll go to 
we leave for Cebu on Monday. Yeah. Monday, we leave for Cebu, and we'll do the same conference that we're doing Saturday. We'll do that on Tuesday. All right. Oh, it sounds great. Like a lot of fun. Is it noisy where you are? Yeah, it's we're it's a big area for breakfast. And they got music playing. That's why I keep eating. No, no, no. I mean, the Philippines is noisy. Well, there's definitely traffic, and I'm. I, I, listen, as much as you hate the Idaho drivers, you must hate the drivers down here. <laughs> yeah, they're they're different, and they have those. Uh, what are they called? Those little carts, they, they people hop on and hop off. They, they call them jeeps. Jeeps, that's right. Because they were left over. Were they left over from the jeep? What? Jeep. Oh, left over. Yeah, jeepney is a. It's a jeepney. Jeep that were left over from the World War Two. Yeah, we rode in a few of these. Those when we were there, and a lot of them have Catholic stuff on the side of them, and some have Christian stuff on the sides. <clears throat> yeah. So everything's in English, right? Yep. Yep. So, all right. I just want to make sure that the link was working. Um, I, I, uh, you may send the link to Eli. Yeah, go ahead. I uh, already texted him, but I haven't heard anything back. So, uh, right. no big deal. All right. And, well, Charlie's um, here. All right. So, how did you get in? Did you come in through? Uh, I came in through the link on Apologex Live. That's I want to the, see the short one or the big one. The well, I think the big one. Because people are saying they can't get in with the big one, so I minified it and put that up there. Yeah, I, I had no problem. So. Okay. All right. Okay. That's All what right. it is. All right. I'm, I got to get going. I'll see you guys later. All right, man. God bless. Okay. Have a good one. I just hit the mini link that says go here. And it, and it worked. Right, it brought me right in. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, good. Well, if people want to get in, we can have some discussions. If not, you know, if no one comes in, it's just you and I, then we'll just bail. But, uh, you know, I'm hoping people do come in and we can have a nice talk. Let's see. Going back to the window. Did he get sick? I don't know. He didn't really say he got sick. Wasn't feeling well, but he managed to be okay. I remember to think about having people the same name. Uh, I'll take plants that are lumpia. Lumpia is good, but no balut. Absolutely. Jeepneys. They look great. Link is not working for many. Uh, so... This is the link. Okay. It should be working. That's just a direct page. So I'm going to paste this in as text. And uh, try, I don't know what to tell you. That's it. And that's supposed to be to participate. So hopefully, hopefully it'll work. And what I'm going to do is put that uh, shortening thing for. Uh, URLs right here. Okay. Okay, there we go. So, all right, I don't know what the problem is. It says too many redirects. It says too many redirects. Take the URL and paste it into Notepad, clean that, and then paste it into a, a Chrome browser. Go direct. Because if you're clicking on the link from inside Apologetics Live and you get a redirect issue, that tells me something. There might be something wrong with the website because we had a crash last week, and so it could be that there's a problem. Uh, Drupal, Our Drupal build is pretty broken. 
So it could be that that's the case. So what I'm going to do is break the URL, break um, break the actual link so that people have to copy them and paste them in. All right. And uh, hopefully that'll work. I'm going to put the uh, link to watch. Come on. There we go. I'll put that there and get rid of the uh, hyperlink on CARM uh, so that it's not active. You have to copy it and paste it into um, there. Now the minify, what I would do, you guys should be able to just click it on this link. If you're in Chrome, you should be able to click it. It should just open up the page. And I don't, I'm seriously, I don't, I do not understand what the problem is because everybody should be able to get in here. Like what I'm going to do is go to Microsoft edge and I'll put the, uh, same link in there. You got to sign in with your Google account or I already got one in. So don't worry about that. It seems to require, it seems to be okay. So I don't know what to tell you should be working. It says it isn't redirecting properly. But that's inside of Firefox. So I'm going to tell people, use Chrome. Okay. Okay. All right. <clears throat> okay. So I'm telling people to use Chrome. If you guys got any comments or questions, you can put them in the text here in the chat part of the uh, the watch aspect of the video thing, and um, we can go with that. If not, we can just bail uh, in a while, but, you know, take a time to work on things. Sometimes people get in later, and then we have some good discussions. So I don't know what will happen here. We'll figure it out. So to redirects, does that help? Yeah, it actually does help redirects in that it's a common thing. Did AR get him sick? Let's see. Andrew Rappaport. Uh, okay. I don't see anything, man. Hope the gift did you well. Which one? If you could text me privately, because people sent me some stuff on um, from the CARM wish list, and man, has it really been helpful. Uh, very, very helpful. So, yeah. All right. I don't know what I don't know what's different with my browser, but it was good while you while the site was said to be wonky by everybody else last week, and my Firefox just worked to get into Hangouts too. So I don't what? I don't I don't understand. Are you on Windows Ten? Yeah, you gave it to me. It's one of your cast off computers that you built for me. Uh, you're on Windows Ten. Um. I'm trying to think. It just doesn't make any sense. You know, say to people, clear the cookies, as it, as Andrew recommends, or I do recommend that as well. Go into Chrome, clear all your cookies, and then put the URL in and give it a shot. But I don't understand what the problem is. Hey, Matt, if you can see this, please tell me which heresy would be would be where there is only Father and Jesus as a family. Uh, binitarianism. I think it's what, literally, I think it's what it's called. by. Bitarianism, I think, is what the error is. That, that's, uh, it's, let's see if I can find it. I think that's what it is, though. Let's see. Go over here. 
Vitarianism. Uh, yeah, two persons in uh, the Godhead. Yeah, Vitarianism. Okay. How's your research on Word of Faith movement? Uh, I still haven't jumped back into it. I need to. Uh, cultish podcast of Bethel, Stephanie, what I'd recommend is, uh, I don't know if you're in um, uh, my Facebook page, uh, Exposing the Lies of Word of Faith and NAR, uh, the heresies of, you could post links in there, because when I get to the point where I'm going to start doing that research again, pretty soon, then I'm going to be, uh, you know, just diving in, doing all the links, do my thing when I study a lot. Um, it's just my life has been so difficult lately with uh, taking care of my wife, getting into a new groove, learning how to do things all the time and stuff like that. Um, I'm finally getting around to being adjusted and uh, I've got a lot of projects I got to get going and, and finish. So it's just, there's just an awful lot on my plate and to do something like that is a huge undertaking. It's a huge project. When I'm able to do it, it's just going to take a bit of time for me to be able to work it out. But yeah, it's, it's going to be huge. <sighs> it is something I want to do too. Man, I wish we could get a, a lower third on uh, the videos working. It used to work on the videos in the Google Hangouts, and then they did something, and then it, it uh, fails to work. Uh, I wish it was some way or some hack or something, but I don't know how to do it. So uh, let's see. Add you into the Hangout. I don't know how to add you, Atomic Apologetics. I don't know how to add you into the Hangout. Um Let's see. Let's see. This is interesting. Uh, uh, atomic video call, call back, pop out more. Let's see. I'm learning. I don't know how to do all this stuff. This is a. This is kind of ridiculous, actually. This is all should have been taken care of, and it should all have worked already, but it's not. So if you if you know atomic apologetics, I'm looking at the pop out and in uh, Google Hangouts. If you know there's a step to get you invited, then type it out. Okay, I don't see anything. Let's see. All right. Okay, now I got to do something else. Let's try this. Yeah. Okay, hold on a sec. Well, we've been having a lot of technical problems lately. Okay, so let's try that. Okay. All right. And refresh the page, and you should see a new link, hyperlink that's in bold. 
Okay, go to the icon of the person, the plus sign, plus sign. Uh, the person with the plus sign, then find my name, Apologetics. Enter the name. Let's see. Okay. I did it. You know, this is really frustrating. Come on. Why are we having so many problems? We shouldn't have this many problems. This is, doesn't make any sense. Charlie gets in no problem. Last week, I couldn't open the room. Now I can open the room, and nobody else can get in. Elias is in. Good. Hey, man. Hey, that does not make any sense. Yourself? No, we got uh, Charlie in, and um, and I don't know how I got in. Yeah, we're not. It doesn't make sense. Uh, this does not make sense. So, I've been trying for a half hour just to make things work. So, that's what it is. Yes, I have a Gmail account, Andrew, and yes, uh, everything I must be doing is must be going right, and it doesn't work. So, go to the icon. icon with the person with the plus sign. Go to the icon with the person with the plus sign. Don't know what that means even. So, oh well. You have to put a page, uh, you have to put a graphic in there or something like that. You have Gmail account, yeah. I don't know, don't know what to tell you. Hey Eli, how's it going buddy? It's going all right, man. How about yourself? Oh, well, we're having some tech problems, as usual. That seems to be part and parcel of what's going on with CARM. We're always having problems. And um, we've been having problems now for far too long. And uh, let's just say things aren't uh, being taken care of. Uh, so, yeah. yeah, what it is. And we're having all kinds of problems and issues. Did, and you, guys, did you guys talk about... Talk about what? Did you guys talk about anything yet? Or are you just the whole time has been setting up? Whole time I've been trying to figure it out. Yet, or you just, it's all set up? Just set up so far. I think mean, one question I answered in 10 seconds, but oh, okay. that's it. What's going on with you? Anything new with I've you? I've been studying. I just listened to a debate and critiqued. Uh, can you hear me when I Yeah, talk? I hear you. Can you hear uh, Right. Uh, now was, you're uh, just friend. We were yeah, yeah, now you're breaking up. You're breaking up. All right. Let me try. Let me try some. How about now? Can you hear me? Now I can hear you. Yep. You hear me? At a friend's house, we were watching a debate and critiquing it. As I'm... yes, I could hear you. Okay, which debate? Can you hear me? Yes, I hear you. Um, it's with, uh, okay. It's with Tom jump, the guy that I'll be speaking with on, okay. on June in June. Yeah. You're breaking up again. Yeah. Tom jump and who? And some, some presuppositional guy. I don't know his name. All right. Yeah, I need to listen to that guy too, and and um, some stuff. 
anyway, yeah, it's a little discouraging. We've been having so many problems. The boards, the CARM forums were down. I tried to do an upgrade and broke everything, and it was just bad. Uh, I've done upgrades on there before and have never had any problems, and all of a sudden, bang, we, we just have problems. And uh, the CARM site, yeah. is, I think, is hanging on by a thread. And there's some other stuff going on, which I'm not going to talk publicly about. But um, let's just say CARM, I would suggest people pray for CARM. I, I really would. Uh, we need to switch to Skype. Yeah, but then we can't get it on um, YouTube. And we can't you know, record it if we do it on Skype, Atomic Apologetics. I got a friend. Uh, you know, I'm going to we got to see about getting a new system here. This is, I don't know. The funny thing is when Andrew does it, he doesn't have any problems. When I do it, there's all kinds of problems. So he's on a different system, and it could be that. Uh, just, it could be just a simple, uh, you know what, I don't know. I've done yeah. this so many times before. It's all worked, and now things are just this is the kind of stuff you start wondering if someone's hacked the system someplace, which is having fun, making things difficult. I wouldn't be surprised. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, anything you want to talk about, Eli? Sure. Well, I was uh, prepping for that discussion, and I noticed uh, a very interesting tact that this particular atheist uses. Mm-hmm. He says that for any supernatural explanation you can give for something, there is also an equal an equal um, possibility that that same event, which we claim is caused supernaturally, can be explained by some unknown natural. It uh, would have an unknown uh, natural cause, um, and that's interesting because if he holds to that, that's position, lame. As I was, well, I, I think it is lame as well because. On the one hand, a person asked him, what kind of evidence would you would would take you would give you a justification for believing in God? And he actually gave a criteria, something like if, you know, if he prayed and and God actually like gave him a gold brick in his hand, it would appear in his hand. and He would say, look, you know, God answered my prayer or whatever. Um, But based on the criteria that he uses, that any supernatural reason I give for something can equally be explained by an unknown natural cause actually makes it impossible for one to uh, recognize something from God. So according to that standard, nothing would convince him uh, um, of God because any attempt of a miracle on God's part can be explained by some unknown natural cause. You see what I'm saying? Yeah, it makes the idea of God's existence unknowable. Yeah, in prayer. And so how can you say I, there's no reason for me to believe in God since you've already constructed a system in which there can there could never be. Um, right. And the interesting thing is that system makes it impossible for God to communicate with his creatures. Yet the same person also says in another place that it's impossible for us to make metaphysical claims. But that very system that he's constructed actually makes a claim, a metaphysical claim, namely that if God exists, there cannot be a God that can communicate with creatures such that we could actually know what he's saying and that it's from him. It reminds me of, uh, of a guy who's got a hammer and nails, screw gun, screws, bolts, dead bolts. And he, uh, he, he bolds boards himself up inside of a room. And I mean, just all over the place, nobody can get in. And he goes, go ahead now, get in. I've constructed something that you can't get into. Now get in. That's what he's doing. 
Right. When, when you ask him to account for induction or the laws of logic, he would say perhaps there is a super law unknown to us that grounds induction that doesn't need a God. And, uh, or it's a super law of that's natural that can ground objective morality. So you don't need a God. And that is just so many problems, uh, problems with that. I don't even know what he means by super law and laws are grounded in something. So is this super law, the fundamental element of reality? What is it? What is it grounded in? You know, if he says it's grounded in, you know, as he would, as he would put it, um, naturalistic pantheism, what does that even mean? Right. What, what is what is nat- naturalistic pantheism and how what is it about the nature of nat- naturalistic pantheism that it can ground transcendent laws of thought and uh, in- inductive principles? It, does, it doesn't right. make any sense. It's an ad hoc explanation. Um, and he says that as long as it's possible, then my answer is from a, as a Christian perspective is not necessary. But I don't even think it's possible. I think he's just putting these categories together, thinking that it's possible. I don't even think it's coherent. Well, there's some issues there. Um, uh, first of all, I would ask, how do you know it's possible? If he's going to say there's some unknown natural cause that's, that is possible, I'd say, how do you know it's possible? That, that's one of the things I would ask. He has to establish that it is possible. If he can't establish that it's possible, then um, he's got no argument whatsoever. Well, if he if he he'll say it's possible because the idea that he's putting forth is not logically incoherent. But Just because something's not logically is. incoherent doesn't mean it's possible. Well, why don't you tease that out a little bit? Just because something is logically uh, coherent um, doesn't mean that it's going to occur or that how it ports into actuality means that it is an actuality. You know. Um, it's possible that there's multi-universes in different dimensions, but does it really exist? We don't know. Just because it's theoretically poss- it's possible but doesn't that's, mean it's but the, that's the case. <clears throat> but that's the point he makes. We're all, we don't know, but as much as it's possible, any evidence that I give for God as an explanation of those things isn't necessary, since, since, since it may be possible that naturalistic pantheism can account for those yeah, things. And that's a self-refuting and position, if, naturalistic if pantheism. Argue- yeah, I well, I see there's problems with it also. I, yeah. Pantheism is a form of monism, and monism posits that the fundamental aspect of reality is that all is one in some sense, and that worldview cannot provide an explanation of the one and the many problem, which is a very uh, well-known problem within philosophy. So your philosophy has to account for the one and the many. You need to have a, an overarching universal principle that can unify and give meaning to the particulars of reality. And that's why as a Christian, we have the benefit of the nature of God being both fundamentally one and many God being one being who exists as three persons. You you actually have the answer to the philosophical problem of the one and the many in the doctrine of the Trinity. Right. That, that, that provides a foundation for us, but any pantheistic view, runs into a, the, the inability of, of accounting for that. And any view right. that denies unity uh, runs into problems as well. Well, here's something I, you know, I would still work through the issue of how you know it's possible because, um, you know, just it's possible. 
Therefore, that's what we're going to hide behind. It doesn't mean that that is an actuality. We argue from actuality, facts, logic, and the whole bit. And so what he's doing is, is arguing from actuality and the, the laws of logic in order to say that there might be something we don't know about and can't detect. I mean, it sounds like he and Matt Delahanty get together and, and think these things out together. But here's something, I would, I, you know, a response. Uh, it is possible that there's an unknown force making him uh, say the things that really aren't true in order to deceive people. Isn't that possible? Right. He, if you, yeah, I think he would say that's possible, but we have no reason to believe. Yes, it. we he do. Say, yes, we do. Uh, because yeah. you're being, you're, you're working against Christianity and Christianity would predict that such a thing is possible. By demonic forces. There's an unknown force. We would call it demonic, but you don't believe in it. So you'd say it's unknown. And you're being deceived. So, uh, you know, therefore, we can't trust anything you're saying and arguing. Yeah, he, he would say he would say that perhaps we are being deceived by an evil demon. No, 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 not uh, us. But him no only. To... Him only. Well, yes, it would have to be him since since we don't run that. We don't have that skeptical worldview. Right. Well, you know, how is he going to tell me that he's not being deceptive or how is he going to tell me that the case is not the case, that there's an unseen, unknown force that's possibly speaking through him to deceive others and that he himself is deceived now. So therefore, we can't trust anything we say. He says to us in this argument. OK, so there we go. The only thing he the only thing he could do to escape a complete and utter skepticism is to appeal to his own existence, which he has, he says, that I can be certain at least of my own existence since my my. He can be certain of his own existence. You could be certain. Of your own How does he know he can be certain? Because if this thing is deceiving him, it could be deceiving him to think that he has his own existence. I think we're losing you. Okay. Can you hear me now? Now I hear you. Can you hear me now? Yes, I hear you. If he... I hear you. We're losing you. Okay, I don't know what to do. Okay, now, now talk. Now I'm hearing you. No, I'm not hearing you. <laughs> <laughs> I have an idea. Call me on my cell phone. So you want me to you want me to, to get out of this and call you on your phone? Yeah, I'll just put you on a speakerphone. Okay. I'll right. just put you right here and people can hear us talk, okay? No, we'll make it work. <laughs> okay. All right. Okay, he's gonna call me on a cell phone here a little bit. Hopefully this is an interesting discussion for you guys. Let's see. There we go. Okay, you there? Uh, yes, can you hear me? Yeah, I can hear you. Everybody else, I hope, can hear him. You can still hear me now? Okay, good. I got your, your piece there. Okay. okay. What I was saying, what I was saying is that he may be deceived by a demon, but it is still he that is being deceived. So he must exist in order to even be deceived. And so this is the whole, this is how Descartes, uh, had an axiom uh, which held to, you know, 
there was one thing that was completely indubitable, and that is his own existence. Um, so even if he's being deceived, he can't be deceived by his own existence, since he must exist in order to be deceived. Okay. And I think that much that much is true. However, um, I would argue that even if you start with your own existence, you don't just start with your own existence, because you have to have logically prior, really, the law of non-contradiction, which is necessary to even make coherent the statement, I think, therefore I am. So he right. starts with existence and logic. But the problem is, what could you deduce from that starting point that can give you a sufficient and fully robust worldview that can provide the foundation for knowledge? You know, it, the fact that I exist, you cannot logically deduce a physical world. I exist doesn't necessitate that I also live in a physical world. And so you can't move from conceptual to empirical, to right. logical deduction. And I think he, that's why we need to start our worldview with a system, not just a proposition or two, namely, I exist and logic is true. You see what I'm saying? Oh, yeah. Yeah, because if you can establish that he exists, that's fine, which I don't have any problem with. Uh, but how is he going to move from existence to rationality because he has to have some way of determining or um, obtaining the laws of logic? Um, but then. Well, well I suppose he could say that he finds himself within existence necessarily employing the laws of logic. However, the laws of logic by themselves, uh, they don't do anything. You need information to process through logic. You need, you need information uh, to actually um, process through logical rules and rationality. And that requires an epistemology and a metaphysic and, you know, you need to logically deduce that from your, your starting principles. Yeah. That's why for my, for my starting principle, which would be the word of God, say, for example, if my starting principle was the Bible is the word of God, and, it, and it's, it's in a sense axiomatic for me, I don't validate it by appealing to something more fundamental than it. At least within the one proposition, the Bible is the word of God, there are enough propositions within the scripture that I can build a theory of reality and a theory of knowledge and a theory of ethics and a theory of induction and all that other stuff. So I can build that by logically deducing it from my starting point. You can't do that if you merely start with existence and logic. Right. So that position would not lead to anything. He'd have to borrow yeah. from our, our worldview in order to make any sense of his own. Right. At that point, he couldn't do anything with – I mean, again, for all I know, he could he could expand on his, on his starting point, and perhaps there's more elements to it. I haven't, I haven't heard that. So, um, but, uh, yeah, you'd have to be able to logically deduce um, from your first principles every, everything else, in which but, case, you know, in a debate on worldviews, I wouldn't grant him anything, he, even, even your existence. I wouldn't even say your existence is an ultimate starting point in your worldview. I would say that existence is a proximate starting point where God is the ultimate starting point since God, as the metaphysical ultimate, gives coherence and meaning to my own existence. Amen to that. And but if, those are the sort of things. Yeah, but if it's possible that there could be an unknown force um, making him say things that are not true in order to deceive people, then it's also possible that he could be applying what he thinks are logical premises and arriving at what he thinks are logical conclusions when ultimately they're really not. And so how then can we trust his argumentation 
at all. Because if he's going to say it's possible that an unknown something we can't identify, it might be out there, that's how I'm going to refute you. Well, then it also must be possible that he is uh, self-deceived by an external force that is causing him to not understand anything about what he's saying. And he is misunderstanding actuality and reality. And therefore, since uh, it's possible, then how can we trust anything he has to say? And you couldn't appeal to, say, trying to logically demonstrate it through argumentation and then appealing to others who agree with you. Right. Because the way you're interpreting the agreement of others may be the very deception that the evil demon is making you believe. That's right. So you can't even appeal to consensus. Um, yeah. So uh, Again, I don't see how – even when you say, in my worldview, I, try not, I don't try to get certainty, but we can have a reasonable – uh, you know, a reasonable foundation. It's reasonable to believe this. And I, I even think that's problematic because reasonableness and probability or something being more probable seems to uh, presuppose a notion of certainty in the first place. Certain things must be certain in order for probability and reasonableness to make sense. Right. And so you sm- when you talk about not being certain so that you can be kind of uh, humble, not being presumptuous and making absolute claims – you actually have to presuppose absolute claims. Perhaps you don't make them explicit, but you have to in order for those concepts of probability and plausibility to even make sense. Yep. Um, so whether you're making an epistemological statement, you are presupposing unspoken metaphysical realities that you take for granted and have not yet uh, justified. So he's having to borrow from the Christian worldview in order to argue against a Christian worldview. That's ultimately self-refuting. Right. But he, he would say, you know, you know, our, our starting point is just made up, you know, like our morality, what we say is, is objective morality is just something man has made up. He'd Which say ours being the, the Christian one? Yes. He would, obviously, he would, he, would, he would say, well, our, our starting point is just made up. It's not, you know, people say stuff. Well, I, I would just keep saying, I just keep saying, well, that unknown of uh, deceptive force in you made you say that. Right, I suppose you can you can take that route. Well, how is he going to get out of something like that? Because it would be if if he's you know you play by his rules, so to speak, by the boundaries that he sets up. It's possible some unknown natural force, this that, and therefore he can give an account. He's not really saying anything. He's just postulating something out of uh, as I said before, out of the ethereal uh, mist of ignorance, and he's just making something up. And saying, see, I refuted you. That's not a refutation. To say it might be that maybe, possibly, we don't know. See, I refuted you. That's not a refutation. Right. And, and, and again, uh, I, I wonder uh, if he's being inconsistent when he gives reasons why, or I'm sorry, what kind of evidence would provide a justification for the existence of God. The very fact that he gives an example of what would count as a justification would refute or contradict his principle that any miraculous cause of an event right. can be equally explained by a not an unknown natural. Uh, if that's true, then you could never be convinced because everything will have an equally, you know, it would be just as valid to posit uh, an unknown natural cause for, for that event. And well, you, can, you can posit just about anything. The splitting of the sea in response to saying it in the name of Jesus um, in the name of Jesus, I walk on water, you know, and then I begin to walk on water. That, that in principle, could not be valid evidence since, on his view, there could be an equally unknown natural reason why I'm able to do that, which is ridiculous. 
Yeah, an unknown natural reason. Let's work with that a little bit. An unknown natural reason, which means it has to be a natural reason. Well, what does natural mean? Because if I'm going to ask a question, well, then we, I, Christianity teaches God created a physical universe. Now he's going to have to say there's an unknown natural cause of the physical universe, which means it's not a personal cause, but a natural cause. Right. I think you would say something along those lines. Well, there's a problem with that because we get into the issue of an impersonal cause of something has to have the necessary sufficient conditions from all eternity by which it would then bring the universe into existence. But that would have happened an infinitely long time ago, which means the universe would be infinitely old, but it's not infinitely old. Therefore, that position is refuted. So there could not be well, a natural cause. Yeah. Well, he could posit that the foundations of naturalistic pantheism, perhaps there's this unknown principle in which it can move from a state of timeless changelessness into a state of creation. Now, again, it's unknown. If that's even remotely possible, then uh, for all we know that, you know, you, the, the argument you just made is not a good argument. I agree it is a good argument, but, you made, but, uh, but that's something along the lines of what he might say. Uh, let's see. I got an idea. You have, to you have to understand. You have to understand that he doesn't believe in naturalistic pantheism. This is a model he constructs to try and present a, a system that empties theistic arguments of their force. It doesn't. It doesn't. It's absurdity. Uh, right, right. I agree. But that's what he's trying to do. So, uh, and it's interesting because then that whole conversation really avoids the real issue. Which is not about what a hypothetical worldview might entail, but what his worldview is. And what if if you don't have a solid worldview, and you're using an hypothetical that you don't even believe, and how do you justify the rationality of even discussing a hypothetical? What worldview perspective are you even operating from, and is it coherent? I wonder, you know, you know, perhaps there's an unknown uh, fart from some naturalistic uh, ethereal presence that's giving us all the illusion of coherence. Is that possible? Yeah, someone suggested that perhaps a giant anus brought the uh, universe into existence. Yeah. For all we know. I think someone said this to Dr. Craig. And, he, and Dr. Craig pointed out that that's ridiculous since an anus is physical and the cause of the universe is beyond, uh, is beyond the physical universe. <laughs> so the cause is not transcendent. And if you say, well, this anus is transcendent, then you're, then you're just calling God. An anus, because right. you're giving the anus all the properties, all the properties of what God would have, transcendence and all that other stuff. It's ridiculous. It's, you know, yeah. this is what this is this is what the conversations are relegated to, also that people can deny God's existence or deny the evidence for it. You know. Yeah. So uh, what he's doing is jumping to irrationality. Well, I think his position really boils down to an affirmation of both irrationality and rationality. The irrationality of the perspective, as I see it, is that at, fun at the fundamental level, reality is impersonal. But at the same time, this impersonal foundation is that which also grounds logic. And logic is rational. So you have rationality and you have irrationality linked together, which makes, which for me is, is, seems to be contradictory. You can't have an impersonal, irrational basis and foundation for the rational laws of logic. Right. I would agree. But then some of the times that they'll say is that the laws of logic are somehow properties of the physical universe, which I don't understand how that's possible. No one's ever posited that. But this idea, uh, it's possible of an unknown natural cause. 
um, again, I would just say, how do you know it's possible? Just saying it doesn't make it so. Show me. And, if, you know, he says he's logically coherent. I say, show me it's logically coherent to say that that is the case. Right. Uh, I guess you could ask that as well. He also says something to the effect that anything you say, any, any event that you attribute a supernatural cause to, I could attribute to naturalistic pantheism. So naturalistic pantheism can do anything that a supernatural explanation can do. Yeah. I, I disagree with that because a supernatural, uh, within a supernatural worldview, you have a supernatural being acting supernaturally. But naturalistic pantheism can't act supernaturally. Right. It can only act naturally. So in essence, it can't do precisely what a supernatural world can do. By definition, it can't. Because yeah, of the exactly. Yeah, right. but but yeah, what people don't know what naturalistic pantheism is. Pantheism, folks, is the idea that God and the universe are one and the same thing. And so therefore, God would be physically limited to the essence and the nature of the physical universe. Naturalism is the idea that the physical universe is all there is. So it would be the idea that God is a naturalistic principle of the universe. But that doesn't make any sense. Because if he's a naturalistic principle of the universe, and he's no different from the universe, and he's restricted to the laws of logic, therefore you really don't have any idea that God exists. I mean, laws of logic. He'd be restricted to the laws of physics and chemistry in the universe. You'd have no way then of being able to determine that he exists. So the idea of, of uh, pantheistic naturalism is self-refuting. It's, it's a contradictory statement. It's a coupling of, of things that don't go together. So if he's going to hold to something like that, he's holding to an incoherence from the beginning. And I'd like to know how an unknown natural cause can account for the transcendental nature of the laws of logic by which we could even discuss this issue. Because if it's naturalistic, how do you have transcendentals in a purely naturalistic worldview? It doesn't make any yeah. sense. Yeah, I, I think it's, I think it's a, a problematic view. But it can be hard to talk about. And so it can be tricky in navigating a conversation with someone like that. But um, yeah, and interesting too is when you get specific with him. And I have not interacted with it, interacted with him at all. This is based upon my watching his debates, discussions, and stuff like that. Which he's a, a very, very, you know, very gentleman, nice guy. You know, he actually, I actually really like his format. But um, when you start talking about Christianity, what he says is um, he he has reason to believe that the Christian worldview is false. Uh, because if the God of the Bible, catch this, I think that I thought this was actually interesting when he said this. If Christianity is true, then God, who is perfectly good, would have created the best of possible world, of all possible worlds. Okay? And the best of all possible world is a world in which human beings are autonomous, completely autonomous. That's ridiculous. And, and able, you know, they should never be forced to do anything. And he goes into all the details of that. Now, that's interesting to me because that's another attempt to define Christianity as false from beginning. Not only is his, his standard of what constitutes good evidence makes it impossible for God to communicate, but in order for him to think Christianity is true, the God of Christianity has to succumb to his view of what is considered the best of possible world, of all possible worlds, which is refuting. In other words, unless unless God of, the God of the Bible agrees to what I believe the best of all possible worlds is, right. then it's logically inconsistent for him to exist, which is which is ridiculous. Right. The second premise is the problem that all people must be autonomous. Why is that a requirement in this best of all possible worlds? And autonomy 
Does that not mean that they are independent of God? How's that possible in the Christian worldview? Because Christian, the Christian worldview is that God is good. He would make the case then that he would be involved in the lives of people so that they would not be arbitrarily struck um, down or moved about by whims of the physical universe that God is intervening. If he's not intervening and letting bad things happen just for some arbitrary, his hands are tied kind of reason, then how is that a good world? What does it mean to be autonomous from God? This, you know, from what you're telling me, this guy, he sounds like he's he's smart, but he's not. He does not know how to think these things through very well. I think that people need to call him on the carpet on these um, these assertions that he's making. Well, I think I think the very idea of God creating completely autonomous creatures is is incoherent. A logically incoherent concept. I would totally agree. It's incoherent. Because it's like saying words, he's a deity. Christianity can't be true unless God is able to do the logically incoherent, namely create right. beings that are completely independent uh, from God. Right. That, 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 that's that's an incoherent concept. Right. Yeah. Yep. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's yeah. the kind of stuff I'm. I'm You're prepping for. About. Yeah. Well. A lot of people don't know that you and I will have conversations on the phone for one to two hours talking about stuff like this. Yeah, which I appreciate. There, I learn. Uh, I learn through discussion. That's yeah. my. I learn through discussion more than I learn through reading and uh, things like that. So, I'm audio learner. I'm visual. I need to see, and I actually have to do in order to learn. So, there, I do good. read and I do study, but those are the primary ways. I it really sticks in my mind. Well, my primary way is um, I'm a pain learner. Uh, when I go through pain, I learn real fast. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Only yeah. need to do it once. So. Well, that's it. I, 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 um, in, other, in other news, um, in my, my Facebook uh, account, I do a lot of interviews on my, my YouTube account. Uh, I do some interviews, and I may, I may be doing, hopefully, if things um, – go through well i may be interviewing uh dr mike lycona okay good um i want to see if i can do kind of a spitfire answering common objections to the bible you know what what does that look like so that the average person can kind of know how to navigate some of the basic questions that come up um in regards to the bible things like that so good looking forward to that if that happens if Um, it happens good hope it does so we actually have another person that showed up in the uh, video room um mikhail I don't know if he wants to ask anything or say anything, but, uh, you know, he's got an opportunity right now. So I'm kind of giving him a moment to say something. No, I didn't really mean to ask anything, just to sit back and listen. Oh, okay. Are you able to hear our conversation fine well, over the phone with the speaker and stuff? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, you can? Who, okay. Who was that person? He said he's going to interview Mike Lacona. Where it's can Eli. He- uh, Eli, they want, he's, uh, I don't know if Eli, they're asking where they can contact you or find out about this. Yes. I'll find, about, find out about what in particular? What do you want to find out, Mikhail? About him interviewing Michael Lacona. Where can we listen to that? He wants to know where you can listen to it. Oh, it's going to be on YouTube. So it's on June 6th. So it'll be on, on the guy's page. So once that's done, I'll sh- I can share it on Facebook and things like that. But it'll be on June sixth. I don't think I don't know if we established a time in the day. We'll be touching base and establish a specific time. Good. Um, 
and if he's interested, I mean, you can look me up on Facebook too. I always post stuff on, on the Facebook page. Uh, I work for the historical Bible society. So a lot of my videos go up there as well. And I have a ministry called revealed apologetics, which I focus on a presuppositional method. And that's still in its starting stages. I, I have a Facebook page revealed apologetics. and I'm going to start putting content there. Um, in the next couple of months. Good. So, all right. Good stuff. Good plug. If anybody's interested, I still. Hold on one second. Mikhail's talking. Mikhail's going to say something. Go ahead, Mikhail. Oh, sure, sure. Yeah, if if anybody's interested, I've turned all of Michael Lacona's debates into a podcast, audio podcast with all of his debates. So, Mikhail said he put all of Lacona's debates into a podcast. Oh, cool. Yeah. I think this. I think Mikhail's a fanboy. I think he's a fanboy. Yeah, my, I like Michael. I, I wasn't a big fan of his debate with Matt Dillahunty, but yeah. overall, I think he does well. Yeah. yeah, a lot of good, you know, good good apologists have strengths in different areas than others, and right. you know, right. that's what it is. My strength, of course, is being obnoxious and irritating, so that's good enough for yeah. me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think you're a nice guy. I know you personally. Some people might just know you from your podcast or. When you rant, you know, about something, you know? <laughs> yeah, it's true. So what else were you going to say? Um, oh, I was able to share something with someone who was involved with uh, witnessing Jehovah's Witness. Okay. Just kind of different different tactics. And I, I remember reading a really good article that you wrote about um, has God, has your God um, done the greatest act of love? Right. And um, I kind of used... A, a similar thing with Catholic when I, I was invited to a church and right outside the church, there was a Catholic holding a huge billboard across his chest. And he said that the Roman, this is the whole billboard. This is the whole billboard said the Roman Catholic church is the only true church that has been guided by the Holy spirit for the past 2000 years. That's what he, that's what he that was the entire thing said. And I had a choice. Am I going to go into the service where my friends invited me? Or am I going to talk to this guy? I ended up, of course, you know, talking to the guy for a good hour and a half. And uh, we finally got to the point where I asked him, I was like, uh, you know, so so can you be sure that, that you're safe, that you're right standing with God? And he, honestly, he told me, I would not be so presumptuous to think I could know that. And um, and I asked, I asked him, I was like, well, then why should I give up the confidence and the finished work of Christ and the peace that I have with God? Why should I give that up in exchange for a life in which I never know I'm in right standing with God. And uh, he shook my hand and he said, I, I never met a Christian like you. You gave me a lot to think about. And I, I gave him your, your website. I said, I promise I'll check out your Roman Catholic stuff if you check out this website. So hopefully he went and, uh, and checked it out. But, uh, in regards to the Jehovah's Witness, I kind of gave kind of the same thing, that why should I give up my God who has actually gave his life he gave his life for me in the person of jesus for a god who has not even performed that on my behalf and jehovah's witness jesus is a created being and he sends this created being to die for sinners whereas within orthodox christianity the second person the trinity becomes uh becomes a man dwells among us lives a perfect life dies on the cross and is raised and atones for my sins and i can be in right standing why should i exchange uh exchange that that's not a knockdown reputation of Jehovah's Witness, but I, I like the existential aspect to it. It gives someone 
something to think about, if that makes sense. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I agree with it. And um, once you go, you know, why don't you explain uh, the idea of the, uh, the argument uh, that Jesus performed the greatest act of love? Well, well, Jesus uh, performed the greatest act of love because the greatest act of love is that a man give his life for his, lay his life down for his friends. And on Jehovah's Witness, you, you don't have a concept of... What verse is that? Oh, I, I don't know the specific reference off the top of my head. John 15, 13. Um, I, know, I, know, I know the scriptures, but you have those numbers down. You got that kind of photographic memory going. Uh, I don't remember the specific reference, but, but we live in an age of technology. If someone asks me, I, I just type it up. <laughs> and get it on the phone, uh, but but no greater love uh, is there for a uh, for a man to, to lay down his life uh, for his friends. And in Jehovah's Witness theology, God is 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 um, they believe in Unitarianism, which is God is one being and one person. Um, and so uh, God, on the Jehovah's Witness perspective, creates Jesus. He's the firstborn of all creation, and Jesus, you know, does all the things that the gospel says he does. Um, so when Jesus lays his life down, it is not God performing the greatest act of love, since God has not laid his life down. But on our perspective, since we believe that God is Trinitarian, God is one being who exists as three co-eternal simultaneous persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, the second person of the Trinity becomes uh, becomes flesh, right? In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was, was God. And John 1.14, the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. So we have the second person of the Trinity, Jesus Christ, who is God in flesh, who lays down his life. If Jesus is God and he lays down his life by, you know, the incarnation and then the, the death on the cross, what you have within Christianity is the idea that God himself lays down his life for his friends. And that is the greatest act of love that Orthodox Christianity teaches God has performed. But the Jehovah's Witness theology can't affirm that. And so um, I don't think the Jehovah's Witness perspective has a God who is loving enough since he commands us to lay down our lives for others, but he cannot do it himself. The way I, I will start the argument is to ask them, can a created thing do anything greater in goodness than God himself? Right. That's a good way to put it. Yes. And they'll, good. they'll say, no, it cannot. And say, I agree with you. And I'll reiterate it. No created thing can do any greater good than God, right? And I'll say that's correct. Well, Jesus said, and then you go into the arguments, you know, yes, John 15, 13. Yeah. yeah, that way. Well, then, so I ask him, I've done this, done this with uh, others. They'll say, so then how is it then from your perspective? You said no creature could do this, but from your perspective, that's exactly the case. So what are you going to do with that? And then it's a, you know, just let it's a, it's a splinter in their uh, theology, and hopefully it'll get infected and, you know. Right, and, and I think, and, and it, again, it's that existential thing too. My God is more loving than yours. Again, that doesn't disprove Jehovah's Witness, nor does it demonstrate the truth of Christianity, but it definitely is something that makes someone think. Yeah. Oh wow, I never, never, never thought about that before. Um, especially the way you asked it. You asked it in a way, kind of a trap. Where mm -hmm. once they're committed, like of course, you know, no created being can do can, can do that, you know. Then they're committed. Then you just open up the whole, you know, that verse, no greater love, and it's like, wow. That's right. Uh, they now have to either backpedal or they won't backpedal and admit 
hmm, that's a very interesting issue and problem that I have with my perspective. Yeah, it is. Well, here's another one I like to use with them um, that's on the existential side is um, and I'll say, I say, look, let's just say that, uh, that I come over to your house and we're, we're just having a good discussion on all kinds of stuff. And I get excited and uh, in my excitement of whatever I'm doing, I knock over one of your favorite lamps and uh, it's just an awesome lamp. and I break it. Now, I said, this is just an illustration. I said, no, in real life, I would apologize and, and offer to pay for the replacement of the lamp. But this is an illustration. So I'm going to ask you some questions. You're with me? And they'll go, okay. I say, okay, so um, who was my offense against? And they'll, they'll say, well, you, you know, him, because it was his lamp. I said, okay, well, the lamp needs to be replaced. So what you do is you say, Matt, you broke my lamp. I forgive you for doing it, but I want you to pay for the replacement of the lamp. Now, I say, here's my question. Is that true forgiveness to require a payment from someone you've forgiven? And they'll, they'll say, no, it's not. I said, okay. My wife happened to have been with me the whole time, and she's done nothing at all. She just watched me be a, a, an oof, or an oaf, I should say. And uh, you say to, to her, uh, Mrs. Slick, um, Matt broke my lamp, and I forgive him for breaking the lamp, but I want you, Mrs. Slick, to pay for the, um, the replacement of the lamp. And is that true forgiveness? And they'll say, well, of course not. And I'll say, okay, good. So in true forgiveness, who's left to pay for the replacement of the lamp then? And they usually get it, but 80% go, oh yeah, I'd be the one. I go, you're right. And so who's my offense against? You know, you. Who forgives? You. Who pays? You. If you transfer the debt to somebody else, is that true forgiveness? And I go, no. In Christianity, our sins are against who? God. Now, if you're a Jehovah's Witness, who bears the sins? It's a created thing who's not the one offended. So how is it that in Jehovah's Witness theology that God who's the one who's offended and he's the one who's forgiving, but he's making somebody else pay? You yourself said that's not true forgiveness. Can, can you explain that to me? Yeah, it's good stuff, man. All right, good existential punch. And I think we need to learn to do that more in apologetics, too. I think we tend to be, as apologists, uh, I don't want to say overly logical, but we, we tend to focus on the logical aspect to the neglect of the existential aspect. Right. And I think it's important to keep them both in balance because we're not talking to, you know, walking brains. We're talking to the whole people who have issues and struggles and stuff like that i think there is there is a role for talking about god's love and sure and things like that and i think apologists should uh, should learn to have a good balance in that area you know I think a lot a lot too the j-dubs in particular are trained in their brainwashing uh ceremonies in their kingdom halls they're trained to react and to think in certain patterns for certain arguments. But these kinds of arguments, uh, you know, they don't, they're just not, they're, they're logical, but they're also um, experiential because they understand what the thing is. I really think the idea of Jesus performing the greatest act of love and God in their, their view can't do it is an admission that their God is being outdone by a creature. Right. And how then can he be God if a creature can do something greater in love than God? 
That's another way, you know, say, say it's greater in goodness because love is good or a greatest act, greater, a greater love, you know, a greater thing of looking. Can a creature be more loving than God? Of course not. Okay, then, you know, it's over. We're now we're just going to lay the trap out and put their foot in it, help them put their own foot in it and, and you know, swing it shut. But, right. yeah. That's good stuff. Yeah. Good. Anybody got any comments or questions? We got people uh, in the uh, the video room just there. If anybody does, just curious. St staying on the same topic, how, yes, would we, how would we explain to a Muslim why Jesus had to die if a Muslim normally says that why uh, Allah can't just forgive and that's the end of it? Why can't Allah just forgive? Let me talk about that. I talked about the radio today, and I have another argument that I use uh, for that. Why is it that God must be the one? Um, why, why do we need a savior? Why can't God just forgive? The reason, because if God does that, then he's unrighteous. And uh, let me explain why. So I do this with an illustration. I've done this, Mikhail. Uh, I've done it with Muslims before, and it works. I've said to Muslims, I said, okay, look, can I ask you some questions? Yeah, sure. I got, I'm going to, you know, I have some tough stuff I want to ask you. Okay, good. Go ahead. You know, and uh, say, so let's pretend that there is a very wicked man who's been filmed, eyewitnesses. Uh, he's been doing um from okay, from uh, I don't know who's Jerry Walls. Anyway, anyway, he's been filmed doing very evil things and uh, you know murder and rape and theft and bombings and just torturing people. And uh, he confessed to all of it. A lot of people are at the trial. He's finally found guilty. You know, it's obvious he's guilty, and uh, he must be punished. And the judge says to him, "Eh, you're free. Go." See you later. Bye. Forget about it. You're forgiven. Right. And I would say, and I ask him, Michael, I'll say, so is that a righteous judge? Is that a, a just judge? Or is he, a, is he a good judge or a bad judge? And the Muslims, will all, they say the same thing. Oh, he's a bad judge. I say, why? Because he didn't do what was right. He ignored the law. And I say, that is your God. Your God is the unrighteous judge. Because your God has his law don't do this. You do it. You're going to be punished. And yet what, what Allah does, inshallah, if Allah wills, he's arbitrary, that he just, hey, you're forgiven. But his own law is ignored. And I ask Muslims, tell me how that your God is a righteous God if he ignores his own righteousness in order to forgive people. And they can't answer it. Yeah, and, and – uh... It sounds as though Allah is morally superior to the Christian God, because the Christian God will send people to eternal torment as uh, as just desserts for man's sins. Well, God, you know, the God of Islam is more loving, and he can just forgive, and that's it. Sounds more loving, but when you use an analogy like you just used, I think that perfectly reflects, really, the unrighteous nature of, of such a God. That's right, uh, because it would require, and just to reiterate for the listeners, it would require that the God of Islam ignore his own law. And when I've shown this uh, problem to Muslims, they backtrack left and right. Well, it's not unrighteous of God, just to, Allah just decides to do it. Right, wait a minute, you just said, you know, you just said. That's why I like to trap people, get them to commit before the argument comes out. 
can a can a creature do the greatest act? Can a creature outdo God in goodness or in love? No, he can't. Okay, they're done. So is, is that judge righteous or unrighteous? He's he's unrighteous. In fact, there's another one um, I'll use with with his with Muslims. And um, it's about, you know, is the God of Islam holy? Now, I'm going to tell you guys the context of me coming up. The greatest act of love is God righteous and is, is God holy, the, the God of, of, um, of Islam. I was uh, out in Georgia a few years ago and was speaking, um, doing some debates and teaching and stuff on Islam. And uh, there's some guys there who know far more about Islam than I do, far, far, far more. And uh, I was told I needed to teach them, hey, give us a, you know, everybody's going to get up and say something, do a class. So, Matt, we want you to do a class on how to witness to uh, Muslims. And I'm sitting there, are you kidding? These guys have forgotten in the past five minutes more than I've learned my whole life on Islam. How am I going to forget, you know, teach them? I can't teach them anything. And so, you know, this surah and that hadith and this argument and that point and the, the uh, tafir, all this stuff. And so I came up with these things, and they were different. It's a different approach. And so, you know, the guy, the God of, of, of Islam, for example, is he holy? Well, Muslims are going to say, yes, he's holy. And I'll say, okay, so he's holy. He's perfect. He's pure, right? And he can not accept impurity. Otherwise, that's, that's not holy, right? They go, yes, that's true. Are you holy? No. So when you repent of your sins, is your repentance perfect and holy? No Muslim will say yes. No, they can't. They say no. But yet God, your God, accepts your repentance, which is touched by your own sinfulness. Said so your God can't be holy because he accepts the unholy offerings from his people as being acceptable. But in Christianity, in Christianity, the holiness of God is met in the person and work of Christ, who his blood, in his blood, makes our works and our repentance holy. So it's washed, pure. So why should, you know, I say to them, why should I give up what I got for what you got, et cetera, et cetera. Right. And you could say also that, that if you were to say, well, you know, if, if, if Allah doesn't accept anything unholy and you can never repent with perfect holiness, then they can say, ah, but but here you see, Allah is loving. See, he, he even accepts my imperfect attempts because he knows my heart. Then you still don't escape the issue of his unrighteousness. But now he has to sacrifice his, his righteousness for the sake of his love because in loving and forgiving and not um, meeting the requirements of his own law, you go right back to the to the story of the judge that you brought at the beginning. So So you can't just say, well, he's loving, and that's how he can accept my my, my imperfect wor uh, worship. Because then you'll affirm his lovingness, but you'll also have to sacrifice his righteousness because he'll forgive you without meeting the requirements of his law. Yeah, and the implication of that inside of Islam would be that Allah has parts, and it is not a divine simplicity, a divine unity of essence, in which, like the Christian being, the Christian God, the, the divine simplicity, divine simplistic nature of God is his one essence, and all of his attributes, love, patience, mercy, justice, wrath, all are equally part of what he is, and one is not above the other. And so in Islam, the idea, you know, what you were saying, uh, some Muslims would hold to that, and then you could 
bring up the point that, well, what you're doing ultimately is saying that your God has parts. He's denying one thing in order to match another. But in Christianity, that can't be done. All must be satisfied because they're all part and parcel of the nature of God. <clears throat> yeah. And they believe in divine simplicity, I believe. Because they, God, they, is a, God is a, is a unity. Is unit. He's one. Even the, the doctrine of Tawhid is, is emphasizes the oneness of God. So you right. can't have a division of how these attributes are expressed because, uh, you know, it affects that, that very important doctrine, which is central to their position. Right. Yeah, there's problems there. And, um, okay. So, uh, yeah, well, you know, the oneness of God, the simplicity of God in that sense, but they don't, but practically, if your argument were to be followed by, by uh, some Muslims, then that would be a, a contradiction against the simplicity of God, the divine simplicity of his essence and nature. Yeah. yeah. Yep. Islam sucks. <laughs> it does. I, I, just say, I just say Islam is false. It's a nicer way of saying Islam sucks without being overly offensive and uh, bringing up walls of, of, uh, uh, of uh, I guess, interference when you're communicating with people. Well, I wouldn't say that to a Muslim. I mean, I, but it does. It's bad. It, it, it's not logical. It's not moral. Uh, it teaches a false God, a false Christ, a false gospel, all of it. You know, Islam is just a false religious system. And, you know, it is. So, yeah. But that's what it is. Yeah, I did um, an hour and a half on ABN Satellite uh, uh, TV yesterday. We talked about uh, those issues on the righteousness and holiness uh, of Allah. Is he evil or not? And I'll tell you, uh, this guy brought uh, uh, Eddie Yusuf. He brought out a lot of uh, points. I took notes. Um, because he speaks Arabic, region writes it, is raised in Iraq. And so he knows the Quran in ways that I will never be able to. And he was showing some stuff. It was really good. Um, he was saying that, uh, think about this, that when you die, you get 72 virgins. And this is the holiness of God to say that, uh, hey, guys, you're going to have sex with 72 women. 72. You can have sex forever with 72 women, and each time you have sex with them, their virginity is lost over again. They, they remain perpetual virgins. After you have sex with them, they become virgins again, wow. which, which is incoherent, uh, but, you know, that's it. And uh, Allah takes shares of the booty of destruction. Uh, you know, say, say Allah takes, uh, takes a share in the booty. So when the Muslims go in and conquer and they get spoils, a law takes uh, shares of the spoils. Okay. Yeah. And uh, uh, let's see. Um, and, you know, there's different punishments and things like that that uh, we we're talking about, too. Um, the cruelty of Allah. And uh, there's some stuff about Satan commanding Muhammad. He was saying, I've got to research those. I noticed a couple of times when he was saying things that the surahs weren't exactly the same. So, um you know, I need to, uh, go to verify a few things, but it was I have a question, uh, sure. I have a question for you. And this is a question in regards to uh, what's the better resource for learning about Islam from a Christian apologetic standpoint. Um, who do you find more helpful and more knowledgeable in the topic of Islam, Dr. James White or Dr. David Wood, in your opinion? Um, I don't know, because uh, 
I've not seen how much James knows, but uh, Dave and I have talked. I know that Dave uh, does just basically Islam all the time. It's all he does. I don't know who's going to know more, but um, I have them packed. I might be able to find them again, hopefully soon. But um, I have a set of books that were written by some just incredible experts who go through hundreds of issues that uh, and, and I was told that these guys, uh, well, I, I won't say that, that anyway, that this is where you can get all the information. I forgot the name of the stuff. It's just page after page after page of problems in the Quran and the Hadith and uh, the Safir, the commentaries and, and uh, some other issues. Um, I read through stuff. And it's just tremendous stuff. But um, it's packed. Answeringislam.org, I think. Yeah, answeringislam.org is great. Um, yes, yes. Yeah, I, I, uh, I'm, I'm Sam, from that website. Yeah, Sam Shimon, he's great. Um, yeah, Sam, um, he moderated a debate I did with uh, a Muslim in Seattle a few years ago. And I remember thinking, thinking, you know, Sam, you should be debating him. And because, uh, you know, Sam knows far more than I do. And uh, that's not being humble. This is true. And uh, but, you know, we had a debate and, and stuff. Um, but nevertheless, yeah, there's a lot of some I great guys. That, I've never actually watched that debate. I've seen it like on YouTube, like a, like the thumbnail the photo. I've never actually watched the debate, so I'm like interested in listening to that. Well, here's something that is not on the debate, but occurred during the debate. And what that was is uh, I have a friend, um, uh, Nathan, and he went with me. And Nathan's very protective of, of me because of what I do. And Nathan's one of those kind of guys, so I, he, he watches my back, you know. And so Nathan was, okay, so imagine this. I'm in a church. There's a center aisle. There's pews left and right, a center aisle. And it's an older-style church. And to the up, my upper left there are some stained glass, not stained glass windows, but some windows that fold open or they have that, that crank. And they kind of come open or the handle, whatever it is. And um, you go straight back in this rectangular church, straight back, and there's the, the foyer in the back. And then behind that are the doors to go outside. And so when anybody would open the door to come in, a window that my friend could see would just slightly vibrate because the air pressure change. And it became a, a system, alarm system for him, not alarm, but you know, hey, someone just walked in and he would just turn around and watch, you know, and he was in a strategic position. All right, anyway, you know, and I'm aware of this while I'm debating. And sure enough, the window, you know, jerks a little bit. So he, I see him turning around and I'm, I think I was talking when this happened, nothing bad happened, but this is what happened. This um, Middle Eastern looking guy walks in through the foyer and stands at the back uh, where the church entrance is and stands there for a bit and doesn't sit, doesn't stand. He's by himself. And he looks, you know, he might potentially could have been Muslim. You know how the, the, the Middle Eastern look and stuff. So um, don't know. I, we know. I have no idea if he really was or was not. I, but at any rate. And then, so I'm debating. Still, we're going. And then this guy walks down the aisle, about halfway down the aisle, and stands in the middle of the church. And I look over at my friend, and my friend is watching him. 
I mean, my friend is ready, you know, and this guy is just standing there and he stands there for a good 30 seconds. Doesn't do anything. And I'm in my debate trying to focus on what I'm saying, but aware that this guy is standing there and I'm debating about Islam and he looks like he's from an Arabic country. So I'm waiting for him to pull out a gun and just start shooting. I mean, I don't know, you know. Well, he should have at least waited until you finish your opening statement. <laughs> well, it, I was. I was in the middle of the debate when this happened. Yeah, okay. You'd be polite. You'll get my statement. And so um, I, I looked at my friend. My friend had a, it was just locked, laser beam locked on this guy, right? And I, was, I knew if something happens, my friend would be on it fast. Sure. And um, the guy just turns around and slowly walks out of the church, goes back out the foyer and goes out. And my friend gets up and follows him out. And, um, and I, and then later we talked to go, where'd he go? He goes, he just left, got in the car and took off. Uh, I go, that's suspicious. He goes, yes, it was. <clears throat> so that's not on the film on that debate, obviously, but it happened. Okay. Interesting. Yeah. Did you do a lot of debates oh, with Muslims? That's an interesting topic. I, I went to a David Wood debate. Yeah. Uh, he, um, he debated Muhammad Hijab, and uh, I was sitting on the Muslim side. I'm, I'm Puerto Rican, so sometimes I look like I'm uh, Middle Easternish. <laughs> like Middle East, all, all the Muslim. Well, Muslims your name, like, your name, Ilya Ali, uh, was it Ayala? Yeah. Ayala. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> I could just, I could just see, you know, you're the back of someone's, you know, what's your name? Ayala, Ayala, like that, and then everybody yeah. just runs for cover, you know. <laughs> just what it sounds like. What I was trying to do is I sat with the Muslim college students. Oh, okay. And when I told them I was actually Christian. Um, we had great conversations. I had a great conversation with a, with a young kid next to me while the debate was going on. I told him I was a Christian apologist, and every time a point was made, he was like, well, what do you think about this? What do you think about that? And then afterwards, all, all the Christians and the Muslims met in the college cafeteria, and they were eating and talking, and it was actually a really awesome experience oh, where people just showed respect towards one another and had really good conversation. Uh, what I find is Muslims... Now, now, perhaps I can make a differentiation between Muslims you find online and Muslims you find out in every every day, you know, right. college. And, and they just seem to be very interested in Christianity, just interested in what we believe. You know, they don't believe it, obviously. But like, hey, what do you guys believe about this? Is, is it true you believe that Jesus is like God? Like these kinds of, kinds of questions where these genuine, hey, that's really interesting. I heard this about Christianity. Is it true? You know, and I had a good experience there. So um, I understand where the fear comes from, and I understand where the caution comes from. And I think to a certain degree, it is valid. But we do want to also, as I said before, we need to have balance. We can't just control right. people because, um, you know, not everyone's the same. And not every Muslim is the same as a, a YouTube Muslim or someone who right. debates online and things like that so well most muslims they don't want to be violent most muslims are peaceful in fact only 18 percent of muslims in the world can even read the arabic and most of them don't really know what the quran says in a lot of areas a lot of them are just like christians they're christians by culture christians by birth and don't have a very deep understanding 
And that, that is the case. It's the ones who are, are dedicated. And those are the ones I encounter on a regular basis, you know, because right. you know what I do and stuff like that. But yeah. Well, the same with the atheists too. I mean, the atheists that you deal with are generally, as you would call them, obstreperous. Yeah. Not all of them. Right. My, my interaction with atheists in person have been respectful. Atheists that I've encountered online have been disrespectful Right. In some contexts, and respectful in others. So, um, the online scene definitely uh, affects the interaction. Um, and of course, because we're a predominantly online culture, that t- that tends to be the lens through which we view other people. Right. It, it's not always accurate. That's true. That is true. And well, anybody got a comment or question? Uh, let's see. I guess in the uh, I'll look in the chat, and also, Mikhail, did you have a question? Did you do a lot of debates with Muslims? Have I done a lot of debates with Muslims? Um, I've done uh, one, two, three, four, or five. I can't remember debates with Muslims. Mm, maybe I should make a podcast out of your debates as well. Yeah, I think, yeah, I think one, of, one of the very helpful things to know when you're debating a Muslim is not only your theology, you need to master your own theology, but you also need to be acquainted with church history because Muslims do very similar what Mormons do and what Jehovah's Witness do is that they will wield church history in such a way that makes their position a little more plausible. Um, and that's not that's obviously not the case. And so if you know a little bit of church history, that actually goes a long way. Um, and I've even heard Dr. White say this. He says that the topics that he took in seminary that helped him the most was uh, Greek, of course, being able to go into the original language, and um, and church history, because you can recognize the the false ideas and the revision of what actually happens in the past. You see this revision being used by many of the cults and other religions um, when they're trying to make their point. So uh, yeah. I, I think that's very, very important. When we're doing apologetics, a Christian apologetics books are super important. But to be a good apologist, you need not engulf yourself in Christian apologetic books, focusing on certain topics will equip you sometimes even better since apologetic books tend to focus on multiple topics without any depth. Whereas if you focus on church history specifically or theology specifically, you can go a little deeper and have a more firmer foundation. Actually, I have a a file of all the church fathers that if people want it, you can email it to me and I can send it to you. And it's searchable. It is searchable. That's cool. And I've got one that somebody went and did some topical stuff. It's been extremely helpful. Yeah. You know, I think a lot of people are intimidated by the church fathers too, because they, they probably think it's a difficult read. And like, I, I mean, it's sad that when, when you walk into a Barnes and Noble and you go into the Christian section, you see all the garbage there. Yet Christianity has such a rich literary history with some really awesome thinkers, even though there was some disagreements and inaccuracies. These people were very deep thinkers. Oh, yeah. They, wrote, they did not write with a dry logic, but they incorporated logic and that existential importance of having that relationship with God and things like that. So I find reading some of the church fathers and church history in general is not only apologetically valuable, but it's also existentially and spiritually valuable as you see how deeply devoted these, these early Christians were. Kind of convicts you in a lot of ways. Oh, yeah. I remember back in seminary, our professor, this is back in 1989, I believe it was, and he read um, a church father Chrysostom. 
and you read two two excerpts out of them, and I still remember what they were about. Because Chrysostom means golden tongue. The way he would speak was phenomenal, absolutely phenomenal. He would weave imagery and doctrine together in such a way that you left remembering. And he was he was phenomenal. And this is, I mean, that was back in '89, and I still remember what was basically being said. Yeah, yeah, you can. And it's, uh, yeah, he, he they were able to write in such a way that really hit home with profundity. They, they're so quotable too. Yeah. Um, but because their writings are so vast, what is often the case is that they're often quoted out of context. Right. And Catholics so, sure do that. Yeah. Right. I, I think it, I think we can learn a lesson from how we study scripture. When we study scripture, we study scripture holistically, not just reading small portions, but reading enough that we get context and see what's going on. And that rule still applies when you're reading the church fathers or any other body of literature. So right. The, the idea the idea is you can miss you could inappropriately um, you could engage in, in bad exegesis of the Bible uh, or good exegesis, and you can engage in bad exegesis of the church fathers. Right. It can't be piecemeal. You know, if you're going to read someone, you know, read them so as to understand them, not just to pick apart, you know, a quote here, a quote there, because that's tempting since they had so much, so many good things to say, you know. Oh, yeah. In fact, um, I recommend people read Clement. Uh, mm-hmm. He was, I loved reading Clement. It was very enjoyable. Yeah. Oh yeah, Eusebius, Eusebius too. Eusebius oh yeah, is church history. Yep. That now Eusebius is amazing. You read Eusebius' church history, the earliest church history ever written, except for the Book of Acts, which is obviously very primitive. You know, the early early church. Uh, Eusebius had. Uh, if you love history, you will drool reading Eusebius because he had access to information that no longer exists for us. There's even a mention in Eusebius of a correspondence between Jesus and some and some person, uh, at, you know, requesting to come to his home and, and heal a servant or something like that. And and if it's authentic, we actually have the words of Jesus writing and correspondence and responding to the, the person that he couldn't come, um, but that he would send somebody, yada yada yada. Whether that's true or false, it's interesting to see such an, uh, a church history, kind of 300 some odd years from the events, have access to this material that gives us information that, man, there's no way for us to know more details, but there's some juicy stuff in there. Um, Eusebius is really, really informative on that level. There's a lot of good stuff in the church fathers, but there it's, it's, if you, if you had all the church fathers in volumes, uh, say the, uh, Antinician fathers, um, it'd probably take you, I'd say nothing but reading eight hours a day, probably take you a couple of months to get through it all. There's just a, an incredible amount. Yeah. William Lane Craig um, has gone into uh, one of his articles. He got, he goes into his study method. He wakes up early in the morning and he reads a portion of scripture. Then he reads a portion of the commentary in the scripture that he read. And then he'll read a portion of the early church fathers. Now, that's what he does every single day. He's done it. I think he has, if he's inconsistent. That doing that over a, a period of time, he's finished much of the early church fathers. Um, he's done that for years and years and years. So the key to cover ground is to be consistent in the and, and intentional in the way that you study. But you know, he's a scholar and he does this for a living, and so he has much more structure than the person who is just trying to survive work and raising kids and right. all that other kind of stuff. So, um, 
So yeah, he, he believes in daytime study. He says, uh, Dr. Craig says, why fly with the owls at night when you can soar with the eagles in the day? Uh, <laughs> I thought that was interesting. I don't, I don't fully agree with it because I just learn better at nighttime, but I get what he's saying. Get some sleep, get some rest. And then uh, when you're awake and alert, you know, get some study. But people are different. Yeah, they are. When I, you know, I wake up in the morning, my brain's going to go back to bed. So, <laughs> that's right. yeah, doesn't work the same. Yeah. yeah. Well, anybody else got any comments or anything? Or are you going to take off? Would you like to move to Calvinism from Islam? Are you talking to me or are you talking to someone? Oh, anybody. What did you say, Mikkel? Something about Calvinism and Islam, what? Yeah. Do, do you want to move to Calvinism from Islam? Oh, we can talk about Calvinism if you got a qu yeah. question. I was, I was wondering about, not particularly your view, but Calvinistic view of the libertarian free will. Well, that's an interesting topic. Uh, both... Um, both Eli and I have talked uh, have talked about this a lot. Libertarian free will. Um, uh, so compatibilist free will and libertarian free will. Basically, libertarian free will is the idea that a person is free to make choices, uh, and within within the Christian perspective, the unbeliever is free to be able to choose God. He just needs the right influences and information, and so it denies a form of total depravity. And uh, libertarianism also says that God's predestination is that um, if predestination is true and God's deterministic idea inside of predestination and election is true, then um, it's we are not it's not uh, human free will is not compatible with that. In other words, if we're predestined to be saved, we're not um it's not compatible with free will to be able to freely choose because you're not really choosing. God's doing it for you. Therefore, you're not really responsible. So I call libertarians uh, and or non-compatibilists. Compatibilism says that God's free, uh, God's election and predestination are perfectly compatible with man's free will. Where libertarianism says no, they're not compatible. So that's why I call libertarianism anti-compatibilism uh, or uh, non-compatibilism. I don't put it in libertarian view that often. But uh, one of the things I will say in response to that is, um, let me get back to this, and I'll read you some verses that I think are really important about this topic, because um, the ability it, it comes over to the issue of free will. And so I'm going to go to John 5, 19. Uh, Jesus says, I can do nothing, the son can do nothing of himself unless it is something he sees the father doing. For whatever the father does, he said, these things the son does in like manner. Um, and uh, let's see, go back up a little bit. There's um, also where Jesus says, it's been a while since I've done this one, so let me get this. Where Jesus says he can do nothing of his own initiative. Uh, that's John 5.30, that's right. I can do nothing of my own initiative. As I hear, I judge, and my judgment is just because I do not seek my own will, but the will of him who sent me. If Jesus, we would say Jesus has free will, and the libertarian would say, yes, Jesus has free will. If he has free will, then which, which view, libertarianism or compatibilism? Remember, compatibilism is that God's predestination and determination is consistent with human free will. Libertarian would say, no, it's not. That's the basic view. There's some caveats there, but that's the basic view. So I'd say, what, yeah, 
I say, which which scriptures fit which uh, these scriptures fit which view better? Where Jesus says, "I can do nothing of my own initiative," is that libertarianism or compatibilism? Now, there's some discussions to be had in there, but the idea is that the words of Christ uh, support the idea of compatibilism because God had obviously got the Father predestined everything that Jesus would do and say, and even Jesus said, "I can do nothing of my own initiative," but He had free will at the same time. That's compatibilism. Go ahead. What are you gonna say? Well, I'm saying too. I mean, uh, talking about libertarian freedom and and determinism and things like that gets complicated because there are different versions right. of libertarianism and different versions of determinism. Um, so uh, when we say something like libertarian freedom, we need to make a distinction between hard libertarianism and soft libertarianism. What I think is helpful is not to think that libertarianism necessarily teaches that man is always free to make a choice in a libertarian sense. There are libertarians who affirm that man is sometimes free to make choices. For example, in the uh, Pocket Dictionary of Apologetics and Philosophy of Religion, it's a little little handbook that has cool theological and apologetic vocabulary, defines libertarian free will um, in ethics and metaphysics as the view that human beings sometimes can will more than one possibility. According to this view, a person who freely made a particular choice could have chosen differently even if nothing about the past prior to the moment of choice had been different. So the person could make different choices regardless of the prior, the prior influences. Man is influenced by conditions and situations and context, but he is not determined by those things. He can self-will. Um, and in that sense, there is a certain level and concept of autonomy within the concept of libertarian free will. Um, but it's li it's a limited autonomy if we can use that that kind right. of uh, language. Well, um, some libertarian views are very com uh, very consistent with and very close to compatibilism. Like soft libertarianism, I think right. is very close to compatibilism. Yeah. Um, but yeah. Was name of that I book again? It was a pocket dictionary. What? Of a po um, let's see, I have this posted up here. It was the. The pocket, diction, um, no, something like the pocket Dictionary of Apologetics and Philosophy of Religion. Okay. It's published by InterVarsity Press 2002. It says libertarian will is defined as uh, in ethics and metaphysics the view that human beings sometimes can will more than one possibility. The sometimes is very important because um, libertarians don't think that you're never determined at all. They just believe that at sometimes you can make libertarian free choices. Right. Yep. Yeah, I, I'm hoping uh, for Charlie Mikhail, speaking. Yeah. yeah, Mikhail, if you had your chat box open in the Hangout, I posted a few links that I think would be helpful in synthesizing the topic a little bit. Right. And I've written some uh, some of it on uh, on CARM, but just like Eli was saying, it is not an easy topic. There are variations of both view of uh, compatibilism, but not so much as there are variations in libertarianism. And uh, just like you said, too, the variations with the idea of determinism and decrees. So it's not just a simple topic. Right. And you need to make a distinction, too, with the whole idea of determination and cause. So many people will accuse Calvinists of believing that God causes all things. And the word cause is mistaken for the concept of an active cause, as though God exerts energy and brings about my action. And that doesn't make the proper, the proper uh, distinction between God bringing something about actively by, by exerting power and bringing it about and God bringing something about passively 
through permission. Yep. And so in that in that case, yes, God is the cause of all things, but he doesn't cause all things in precisely the same way. And I think people mix up that language and they attribute to Calvinism something that Calvinism doesn't teach. Right. And what I'll do is uh, for those on the radio, you know, I don't want to get too technical, but I'll say there's a uh, a direct cause and an indirect cause or a direct right. cause and a permission that God knows things will happen and he lets it happen. I say that's not the best way to put it, folks, but that'll do for now. And that's, you know, on the radio, I'll talk like that at level. But yeah. Right, right. And and don't get don't let non-Calvinists get away with the idea that permission is the vocabulary of the Arminian, because that's just not true. Um, John Calvin speaks about permission being kind of like a, a joke. Yeah, you know, you know, God brings everything about, you know, permission is really not a, a good term to use, you know, whatever. But I don't even think Calvin was referring to a, a, a permission in that sense that God never permits. I think that Calvin really is is denying the kind of permission that is a fair permission, a permission that God gives complete autonomous freedom right. to the person to do what they do without any, you know, decreative purpose or anything like that. Right. I don't think Calvin held to that. But even if he did And I don't either. So what? Yeah. And uh, even if he did if he did hold to that view, then you know, our standard of scripture and scripture clearly teaches there's a concept of permission. Well, if God's going to permit something, it's his will to permit it. But it, anything that occurs can only occur because God has ordained that it occur. And then we get into the issue of causative ordination and permissive ordination, where right. God says he knows these certain things will do. And yet even the free will choices have to be permitted. It gets very complicated very quickly on um, all this stuff. It really does. Right. And the language can be emotionally charged when yes. you say God decrees everything that comes to pass. That includes, and I'll be specific because I don't want to water down, uh, that includes God ordains me sharing my food with someone who's hungry, and God ordains that a particular instance of rape occur. Uh, the fact that God ordains evil to occur is not the same as God actually performing evil. Right. It, it, it is an element of permission, and the fact that God ordains means that even the evil things that he permits to occur, he has ultimate good purposes that he's working out. Right. To deny a decree is to also say that there are events that occur for which there is no purpose for. Right. And that, I think, is a scary position because that means there are actions that are completely outside of God's control and that God is responding to those actions in time as they occur, not as though he permitted them for a specific redemptive purpose. And then you'd be supporting the idea of God being, uh, or the open theist concept of God, where God's reacting to things foreseen and reacting to things he could not foresee. And he limits himself, as some say, to only knowing certain things in order for man's free will to, to uh, stay inviolate. Right, right. And, and I think, too, another difficult question, which is really at the heart of these kinds of discussions, is how do we reconcile a meticulously sovereign God and uh, the kind of freedom that warrants man's responsibility before God. And Calvinism affirms both meticulous sovereignty and a human responsibility, but we need to be careful that Calvinism does not necessitate a particular metaphysical explanation as to how that works. A lot of people will say, for example, they'll follow someone like Jonathan Edwards and have a, an understanding of the will that you know, we act in accordance with our strongest inclination, and they'll have some philosophical way of explaining how this all works together, and we're free to do that, and that's fine, and they're defensible, those different models. But that's not necessitated by the Calvinist position. Right. For if you read the creed, the Reformed creeds, 
They affirm God's meticulous sovereignty. They affirm human responsibility. And they are quite ambiguous as to how that works out. You may employ a philosophical model that you think is based upon principles of scripture, but you do not want to equate those philosophical models with what the Reformed creeds are teaching and what scripture teaches, since scripture does not attempt to give a metaphysical explanation as to how these things work together. Amen. That's why I said on the radio, God doesn't tell us, so I can't tell you. He doesn't tell us. We don't know. That's it. He has a reason for not giving us certain answers about certain issues. And that's okay. That is perfectly fine with me. As I learned in seminary, um, one day the professor got up to the board and said, I'm going to teach you one of the most important things you'll ever learn. And he wrote two sentences on the board. There is a God. You are not him. And uh, it's true. And there are certain things God just does not reveal to us. And that's just how it is. Yeah. Right. Well, buddy, we're about time. Yeah, we'll wrap it up. It's uh, top of the hour. So uh, I appreciate you coming in and, and uh, you know, having a good conversation. Maybe we can do it again next week. We'll, we'll see. As long as I'm able to make it, I'll try my best to make it. Sometimes, you know, I got to bounce and do something church-related or family-related. But when I can make it, I'll definitely, definitely uh, come in. I actually just forget your family in church. You know, do this. It's more important, obviously. <laughs> There's still telling me I said that. Oh, well, if she listens to the podcast, I guess she'll, she'll hear it. Uh-oh. <laughs> Like, listen, Matt Slake's being a bad influence on you, and so I really don't think you should uh, you should uh, participate and listen to him. That's right. Yeah, those inside words became outside words. Oops. Well, well, yeah. <laughs> My wife, by the way, was uh, was a bit starstruck when we were in Texas together. We were, we were driving you around, you know, when we were speaking at that conference. And my, when we dropped you off to your room, my wife said, I can't believe it. We're, you know, we've been listening to Matt Slake in the car for all these years, and we're actually driving around. It, it, you know, with him uh, here in Texas, he's like, "This is so weird." <laughs> so, <laughs> well, my wife was, a, was a fan for many years, and it was cool that we actually got to meet that. Yeah, until she met me. Tell her to call my wife up and tell her my wife how great I am. Well, well, funny that you said that. You, while we were together, you did evince some interesting uh, uh, personality traits to my wife. <laughs> do have some quirks, you know, we, we've been watching. I do, but I do. It's true. I, know. I do. You know, we, we've been watching the Longmire series and my wife every now and then, you know, it's, it's a fun series on, on Netflix. And uh, the sheriff is this guy, you know, someone punches him in the nose. He's got a bloody nose. He goes to the office and someone says, what happened? He goes, my nose is bleeding. And he, he just keeps going. He doesn't say anything. And my wife just slowly looks over at me, you know, because I know what she's doing. Because that's what I'll do. She'll say, how are you doing? Oh, I'm fine. You asked me the question. I gave you the answer. No, I want more details. Well, then ask more questions. You know, and she goes, yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's me. It's like, uh, yeah. And we'll be watching somebody on TV, and he'll do something stupid like that. And she, her head just slowly turns and looks at me. I just hide. Well, if my, if my, if my wife uh, noticed that uh, very early on, but but all that being said, she she thinks you're a pretty cool guy. Yeah. Uh, it, was, it was a cool experience. Well, so, just praise God he can use a broken vessel. So. Amen. Amen. That's right. Okay, buddy. 
Well, God I'm bless. Gonna I'm going to be out. God bless. All right. We'll keep in touch. All right, man. Talk to you later. Okay. Bye-bye. All right. All right. That was fun. It was Eli's great guy. We have lots of conversations, all kinds of topics. Good. It's really deep stuff. A lot of fun. I'm going to close it up. Now, is there going to be an after show? Uh, if so you guys can put the link in. I don't know if that's going to happen today. Uh, and I don't, you know, no big deal. Uh, let's see. Where is the, there it is. Okay. I don't know if anybody's in or what, who, what's going on. I don't know. Okay. I don't see anybody saying anything. Anybody know if there's going to be an after show? I hope you're not asking me because I stumbled into this being computer illiterate. So I think uh, if somebody were to act like they don't know what they're doing, maybe they'll successfully make it next time. Okay. Sounds good. All right, then. I'm going to just close it up. Thanks, Matt. All right. God bless everybody. It was great. It was fun. Lord willing, we'll see you next week. Okay. See you.